0: Welcome, everybody. We're really glad to have you with us for this uh, post-sermon recap. Uh, We love having you guys. Thanks for your great feedback as well. So many of you have uh, told us how you're watching this and enjoying this time together. We get together, uh, we record this on a Monday after Sunday, and just talk about what we experienced in the teaching over the weekend. This week, you know, if you were at church or watched online, uh, Matt Karst, our worship pastor, worship and creative arts pastor, shared with us, and Matt always does such an excellent job uh, when he's in the pulpit. And I thought yesterday was fantastic. Matt, thank you for that. That was a great day yesterday.
1: Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. I appreciate
0: you letting me do it. Oh, it was a joy. And uh, you'll be there some more for sure. I always, uh, you know, I'm out of the pulpit, so whatever, every other month or so, uh, sometimes more than that. And just uh, I have this tremendous team who, who get up and share and, and preach the word and teach the word. And uh, every time I'm gone, I'm, I'm getting tremendous compliments uh, on on our staff. And what a great job. One guy told me, he said, that he said Matt is so good. He said, I feel like I'm listening to Chip Ingram. And uh, y'all may not know Chip Ingram. He's, I'll take it. He's a fantastic uh, Bible teacher, and that's a high compliment. And then one guy told me, he said, you better be careful putting Matt Karst up there uh, like you do because uh, you're going to lose your job. And I, he was joking, of course, and I said – you know, it's my goal that when I put a guest speaker up there, it needs to be every bit as good and maybe better than what I do. And and you guys are, uh, you, Greg, Luke, uh, all of our guys who get up and uh, share the Word are doing such a fantastic job. So thank you for that. I always get the best compliments, and yesterday was no exception. So thank you for that. Of course. Thank you. I appreciate So uh, Psalms 91, we ended it yesterday. Yep. It's been a really powerful time for me and for us to just— uh, walked through this incredible psalm yesterday, and uh, you closed it up really well. Talk to us a little bit about the change in voices in that psalm and how it goes from the different voices.
1: I, just, I, I guess I just thought it was so interesting to— sometimes I feel like—I mean, I even did it a little bit yesterday, if that makes sense. Like, you go from kind of repairing your heart a little bit of— he starts off talking about, just how good God is and about who he is. And it's like, he's talking to God. We're talking to himself and that, like reminding himself of who God is. And then he goes into preacher mode is what I'm calling it. And he starts talking to God's people. And I love, I I don't know. It's almost like he built himself up. Like, okay, this is who I'm talking about. This is the God I'm getting ready to talk about. And then he went at it and he started saying to God's people, this is who he is, Mm -hmm. find your rest in him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's almost like he said, and if you don't believe me, here's what God says, and then we get that switch in voice for those last three verses that we dove into of God just speaking, and like, I think I said this on Sunday and Thursday, like, I believe God's speaking to his people, which includes you and me, and it's all of us. He's speaking to us, Um, whether he said that thousands of years ago or he said it today, it's still God's people, and so I just thought that was really interesting to note that, yes, the psalmist, he kind of kicks it all off, but then God wraps it up, And and the psalmist is almost saying, hey, if you don't believe everything else that I just said about him, here's what he says about himself.
0: Yeah. They say anytime something's repeated in the Bible, frequently, that it's for emphasis. You really uh, hit that. In that last section of Proverbs, tell us about that repeat that just kept going.
1: The, like this, I will repeat. Yeah, no, I I absolutely love, one, when God says it, it's like, well, this is gonna be good. And so God just keeps saying, "I will," and then He makes His promise, "I will do this," and then the promise is made. And uh, you know, I even, I really, I really wanted to kind of dive into this idea because He says it six times in there. He says, "I will" six times, and that's just in a few verses. Yeah, and He makes those those six promises. You could even say it's seven if you wanted to separate that last one. But to me, and I kind of broke that up a little bit on Sunday as to why I think it's one promise, but. I think there's something in there about why he says it six times. And I and I start to think of that number in, in scripture of creation and man's made on day six. And then um, even the word that he uses in that sixth promise for satisfy is the same word that we get um, Sabbath from. Mm-hmm. and And I didn't dive a whole lot into it, but I was like, man, I think there's so much there. And I think there's so much power in what's happening. And I think there's a reason God said, I will six times, and I, I don't necessarily know that I know all the answers to it, but I know when God says something, He says it for a reason, mm-hmm. especially when He repeats it over and over mm-hmm. and over again. So, And when you hear that statement, I will, there's no maybe there. Yeah, no, for there's sure. No, it's, this is happening. It's coming. Yeah, and I, and I think I alluded to it, but this idea of God making a promise, and I know that sometimes we say kind of the Christianese cliche, like, and he's faithful to complete his promise. But to me, it's almost a, he has no reason to make a promise and break it. He knows I'm gonna do that. Mm -hmm. That's why he's saying it. It's not, it's not, oh, let's appease people for a minute so they'll be happy. It's, no, I plan to do this and it's gonna happen. So that to me is what's so powerful about it. I thought you did
0: a great job as well yesterday uh, addressing the concern that some people have when you get into Psalm 91 early on, it almost sounds like you could you could take it in a way to think, okay, I may God my refuge, never going to have any problems again. Mm-hmm. May God my refuge, everything's going to run away from me. No problems are going to come my way. Yet you have the mention of lions and cobras and serpents. You yesterday had the, the statement, I will be with him in trouble. Mm-hmm. Unpack that a little bit for us, what it means to walk through trouble with Psalm 91.
1: Yeah, I even just over the last honestly since we started the series i've been reading through psalm 91 just to kind of meditate on it and have it in my heart and uh, which worked out great because then i got to preach on it on the last week but um i mean i really do think the common theme throughout it is almost the opposite of you won't encounter trouble it's almost no you will encounter trouble um and and I, again i said it i think in there the common theme really is that the world's broken And the world is just going to keep getting more and more broken it's not like there's going to be some day where every well there will be one day (laughs) it will come uh but while we're here while we're walking the earth that it it's it's not like everything's just going to get better all of a sudden it's there's brokenness in the world and we are going to continue to encounter that time after time and and so the promise in there that i love is not that that i'm just gonna be okay it's it's that it's going to be okay because of who I'm with. And, and that's why I couldn't help but think of Jesus on the boat with the disciples, and he's sleeping, and he's on the boat with me. And worst case scenario, everything goes wrong according to the world standard. I still end up in eternity with him. And so that's the, that's the promise I'm really clinging to. It's not that I'm going to be comfortable. It's that I'm going to be with him. In trouble or in moments that I need to be delivered or rescued in the moments where I'm encountering the brokenness of this world his goodness is still greater Mm. hopefully that makes sense if you if you buy into the theology
0: that some teach that if you do the right things for God and live for God you're never gonna have any suffering no problems it just is not borne out in the lives of the New Testament Christians you, you just can't see that, and some may take that as bad news, but it, it just is what it is. The disciples, you know, 11 and the 12 were, the original disciples, were martyred for their faith. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, How do you reconcile that with Psalm 91? I, and I'm throwing you the hard question of Psalm 91 yeah. uh, because I can't. <laughs> no evil shall befall you, let's say, and that wasn't in right. verse yesterday, but no evil shall befall you. How do you reconcile that with the fact that 11 of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death?
1: This is my opinion, I guess, but I think sure. I can back it up with Scripture as well. The, the idea of no evil shall befall you, in other words, it's not going to overcome you. And I think we get so caught up in thinking of, I'll say me, I get so caught up in thinking of myself as this flesh and bone and the things that I'm feeling with right now, but really, at the end, I mean, it's it's the thing we talked about at the end yesterday. It's it's that moment when I when I open my eyes in heaven. That's the me I think he's talking about in that. Yes. He's saying, yes. evil. It did you you didn't fall to evil. Evil didn't conquer you. You died, but that was going to happen regardless of how it happened." What he's saying is, you "No, know, truth has won out. Goodness has won out. You you are not falling to evil. You have conquered. You actually, I have conquered evil." And you get to read the benefits of it. And so I I even think back to, I think it was the fifth promise that when he says, I will deliver you and honor you. I mean, that word honor is, it's, I mean, it's hard. It's heavy stuff. It's burdensome, but the honor in that is you're gonna overcome it. You're gonna push through it. You're gonna fight through it. I'm gonna equip you. And on that day, evil didn't win. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's how I look at it. I don't know if you have a different perspective on that, but I think that's
0: I'm great. Uh that's a great answer. I think um I think what you said about who who I really am is not this body. Mm-hmm. Cuz no matter what I do, this part of me, this body that I live in, that's not me is going to go back to dust. Yeah. You know, this if if I think this is me, well Corruption is happening in this. This body's getting older. This body's headed toward its end. Right. But me, inside of me, evil can't really touch me. Yeah. You think of the Apostle Paul, you know, I the, think the uh, tradition is he was taken outside the city of Rome and beheaded, you know. When they beheaded Paul, the only thing that was really touched was his body. Paul was with Jesus instantaneously. Yeah. Evil didn't touch him. So good. I made it. Uh, I, I had worked on memorizing Psalm 91 at the first of the year and uh, been really getting into scripture memory this year like I never had before. So I'm, I'm trying to memorize chapters of the Bible and just put them in my heart. And I think Psalm 91 was the first one I took on this year. And so uh, up until this series and through it, I've been disciplining myself to just get along and just quote the Psalm once a day. You know, to just run through it and quote it. And it's been so powerful, so cleansing, so reassuring. If you could just memorize Psalm 91 and speak it over your life every day, and I've done that for a few months now, it's really been powerful. But I'm going to say this. Um, since Thursday, I first heard you preach this last Thursday, when it says, I will set him on high because he has known my name. Mm-hmm. After your illustration about the Oreos, I'm sorry, it was great. You. It was fantastic. Here's what I want to say is I have said that differently. I get that with that illustration. I thought you really nailed that illustration when you gave it Thursday night. I told Greg, I said, "Man, he nailed that illustration because that's exactly what it means."
1: Uh, yeah, I feel like our when you just read it at face value, you think he pulled me out of it and now I don't have to deal with it anymore. You're Right? And I was like, that can't because we do like we're still we're still in it, you know, in the world but not of the world. So that's where I was like, that can't. That, so that's what kind of made me want to dive into it deeper. It was like it can't just mean. I'll deliver you and you'll never have to deal with all that again, because I know that's not the reality of the way life works. So um, that's why it really caused me to dive into it and look at it as, okay, I've pulled you out of it, but it's more I've I've called you out of it, is more how I I kind of, as I was diving into it, I've set you apart for a reason.
0: That's so powerful. And it's changed the way I quote that. Even this morning, um, that's um, when I say set him on high, I'm thinking Oreos. I don't know if that's... I want an Oreo, but I'm thinking also they're up on the fridge. God has me up on the fridge where that can't get to me. Love it. So what are those golden... What do you call
1: them? Golden double stuffed Oreos. So are they actually better than the chocolate ones? I mean, this is a very controversial topic, but if you want to go there... No. Let's go there. Uh, So I think they are... Now they say Oreo, you know, the original Oreo is milk's favorite cookie. I actually like to eat them with some coffee. So the golden double stuff dipped in just a little bit of coffee is really good. If you don't like coffee, you know. I'm not a big milk drinker. I don't like milk,
0: generally speaking, just to drink milk. Never have liked it. But somebody showed me this, and I must have been in my 40s before I realized. I was like dipping an Oreo in milk and trying it, and it was nothing. They said, no, you got to hold it in there. Mm -hmm. For how long? Uh, at least three to ten seconds somewhere in there and it softens the thing up and i never knew that and when i did that it's like eureka what a moment now i have discovered life and now i know what they i was just and and eat it and uh there you go
1: i will say maybe the biggest perk of the golden oreo is that when you eat it it's you can't see it all in your teeth when you eat the chocolate oreo i mean it's just it's game over.
0: How many of the Oreos made at home? Oh, but you didn't have the golden ones on Sun on Thursday, but on Sunday you. I got did a big not. Pack. There was a
1: gentleman in the, that was there Thursday that came back Sunday with a pack of Oreos for me. So <laughs> you. Nobody used else bring me any more of those golden Oreos, though. I'm trying to lose some weight here. So how many of those made at home? Not many. My kids got some. Other people's kids got some. I had a few few uh, people in service came up asking for some of the Oreos. And then I ate about six to 20 of them. So we should. I won't tell you how many I got. <laughs> I was say, there was a few missing when I, <laughs> I opened wanted, it for the first time. This was a time, test so. to
0: see if you would throw me under the bus in front of them. <laughs> I and was good. I did not. It. You didn't do it. I slipped a couple away and I actually took Andrew one of them. So I thought he deserved that after being the <laughs> the illustration. That's one of part of it anyway. Yeah. That was so good though. I really, I really, I really was blessed by that. Let me ask you this. Put you on the spot just a little bit. Uh, if you can share, you don't have to, obviously, but if you can share, what has been a time of your life, a testimony you can give quickly? We're going to end this up, but quickly just to say, this is a time that I found Psalm 91 and what it teaches to be true. Not necessarily that you were consciously thinking of that Psalm in this time, but I walked through this and I found God to be my refuge.
1: I think that, I think I could say multiple times, um, sure. And it's always the hardest times. It's not. I, I've never been on. A, I've been on the mountaintop. I've had those experiences, but it's in the hardest moments of my life. Um, you know, the last couple of years in our family, we've we've lost quite a few people, and yeah. it's been yeah. It just feels like one hit after the other. Yeah, and you you almost have to have. I mean. I go to that and I think of it. I mean, it's the first promise he gives. It's that I will deliver you. And when you're in that, you know, and you're in grief and your family is in that grief and there's literally nothing I can do. I mean, I can't, I can't create my own escape out of that. That's just, this is, this is where my soul is at. I'm hurting. I'm going through this. We're in the trenches together. All the people that I feel like, okay, I would lean on them. They're in it with me. So I'm. I feel like in my lowest low is the moment where you just go, I need you, you know, like I, you have to be my refuge. And so those for me are the moments, um, where like, if I can't rest in him, what am I doing? You know, um, and it's even been, you know, trying to make sure I say this the right way, but I think we've all been there when I'm hangry. And I go, what are you doing? It's those moments of this doesn't feel like all of the promises that I remember hearing in Sunday school. So, right. And then you look at Psalm 91 and you go, but you're my refuge and I'm going to rest in you and I'm going to figure out how to find that rest in you. And then he comes through. That's the part that's hard to really like express is that when you lean into it, when you say, I'm going to cling to this promise. And I'm going to let you be my my refuge. I'm going to rest in the shadow of the Almighty, knowing that you're going to deliver me. Then he comes. I don't. Again, I don't know how to really explain it. Like you can sense that peace just kind of wash over you, and you still have a lot of those feelings, but it's almost that. Not to sound cheesy, but that. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. He's got an escape plan for me, and so I'm going to continue to cling to that promise of who he is and who he's promised he's going to be. Um, so I don't know that that really completely explains I don't even know if there is a way to completely really explain good. it. But those have been the moments where I've found myself almost having to live out Psalm 91 and claim that over my life. So you just have to get to the place where that's
0: all you've got. Yeah. It, I think we have to get there. You're teeing up this week's... <laughs> You're welcome! we start, man, you won the prize on that one, yeah. You're teeing it up because it's it's an idea that I've been kicking around for this weekend and just working with is that we start a new series called Desperate Faith. We're talking about a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, 12 years, and uh, tried everything and nothing worked. You know, nothing worked. And and it's almost like somebody quoted, I read this quote somewhere, and I, I will probably butcher it. Uh, it said, you you've, you only find out Jesus is all you need until he's all you have. Mm. You know, it's like when you get to those moments when everything else has failed you, yeah. you will find he is all you need. You know, a lot of times we, we live under an illusion. If I can get that or get this, and oftentimes it's money or stuff yeah. or people or relationships or promotions or whatever we're... All the stuff we're grabbing for on this earth, you know, we think, if I can only get that, I'll be okay, I'll be okay, and we get some of that. Some people wind up getting all of it and find out they're still not okay. They still have the missing piece there. And at the bottom of it all, He, Jesus Christ, is what we're looking for. He is, He is the only source of real life. And you find that in those dark moments everybody's going through them yeah
1: and I I don't even know that I don't know that I could have found that level of peace hopefully that makes sense in the mountaintop you know in the great experiences like without have having been in the worst moments of my life I don't know that I would have experienced it's not the fullness of Jesus because I know I haven't experienced that yet but the fullness at least to which I have so far experienced his peace and his comfort and his, that rest that we've been talking about. Like, I don't know that I would have even gone to look for it. If everything was just great all the time. Yeah. Um, which is hard to say, cause we also wish everything was great all the time.
0: It's a number of moments, the hard times, the times when I questioned everything that I grew the most. Yeah. I hate those moments. Mm-hmm. I don't, well, I can't say I hate those moments. Those moments are challenging and difficult to walk through. But looking back on them, I'm thankful I did walk through them. Um, it grew my faith yeah. and helped me draw closer to Him. Well, thanks, Matt. Yeah, great weekend, great word. Thanks to you guys for listening and being a part of this series in the shadow of the Almighty. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll say again: this coming weekend we start one called Desperate Faith. We're going to take three weeks and just unpack the story of the woman with the issue of blood, her desperation, how she just had enough, and how she turned to Jesus and spoke in faith, and how it came to pass. And at the end, we're going to see how Jesus healed her in a much deeper way than just her bleeding. He healed something deep within her heart. And so uh, I really believe it's going to be a, a, a significant series in our history. I really do. I think I was going to do something the next three weeks going to surprise us and excite us all. It's going to be real good. Thank you all so much. See you.